Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. It's Chase. A uh, new episode here. And to start this episode off, I'm going to look backwards just a few weeks where I had a really fun time on that new app called Clubhouse, which you're probably familiar with. If you're not, uh, it's a new audio, social audio platform. Um, still in beta, so it's a little bit difficult to get access to. Um, but if you're aware of it, it's a place where you can hang out and have audio conversations or be a fly on a wall and listen to people who have knowledge about things talk about those things. And whether that's MC Hammer talking about MC Hammer pants or uh, venture capitalists like Ben Horowitz talking about how to get someone to uh, support your vision and between those two things and, and everything in the middle, it's an amazing app. And I had a good time on that app a few days ago. Uh, sorry, a few weeks ago with a couple of great hosts, Walid and Matthew. And uh, I wanted to share that with you because Clubhouse is limited. I know not everyone who wanted to join um, was able to. We got some feedback uh, that they were bummed. And also the people who did tune in uh, got a lot of very positive feedback on the show. So thought we'd share it here in its very raw form. Uh, a couple things we cover in the show, in case you're interested, um, that a reminder, we are the only species on the planet that trains the instincts out of our children. We train creativity out of our children. And you know that we are all creative by nature, but sometimes we forget that we are creating machines. Uh, we talk about pulling on the thread, the thing that you know about yourself, whether it's inconvenient or not, and how to manifest that into a positive outcome in your life. Uh, we talk about when to burn the boats and go all in, um, and it's not always what you think, right? You, 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 you. We hear uh, stories about entrepreneurs who got to go all in your vision, and they'll get a second mortgage on the house and they go out of business. And knowing when to go all in and when to uh, turn over one card at a time, or when to just keep moving forward—that is a big dilemma. Those three topics, a number of others like short-term urgency, long-term patience, different seasons of life—you can't always be you know, going 24 seven, just like in life, uh, in, in the world, there are seasons in winter, you move slower, you are more quiet, it's darker earlier and how to think about applying that to your life. Great conversation again with, uh, Walid and Matthew, and, uh, I know you're going to dig it. So hope you enjoy the show. Uh, if you've got some feedback, please give me a shout out and give those other folks a shout out on the internet. Um, and I look forward to getting your feedback. If you like this and you want to dive deeper, there are also uh, all sorts of other ways you can always do that. You know my book, Creative Calling. You're very aware of Creative Live. Uh, there's a new subscription price, $149 to get access to more than 2,000 classes. And of course, you can, if you are able to, get an, uh, get an invite. Uh, follow me on Clubhouse. Look forward to hearing more from you. I uh, hope you enjoy the episode. Until then, I'm going to get out the way and uh, turn it over to this recording from just a couple weeks ago. What's up, Chase? How you doing? Chase. Hello. Hello. Thanks for joining us. Good to, good to see you here. Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks for uh, pulling together and hosting. Much gratitude. Absolutely. We're, uh, we're excited to have you here. Um, well, we're, we'll dive right into it because um, we know the time goes fast. Um, we're planning on this room for, for 60 minutes. Um, we, this is kind of like part two of a conversation that we had 
I guess that was two weeks ago with uh, with Vaughn Wong and the great Tim Tatter, um, which we thought was just a really great conversation and just a lot of great feedback from it. Um, and Waleed and I have both had the opportunity to dive into your book, Creative Calling, and, and gotten a lot out of it. And so we were excited um, to have you back here. That is a, certainly one vector we should talk about today. Just, you know, when I have in my own experience where those um, and, and if you're anything like me, I think everyone here has tapped into something that was working at some point in your life. It was going great. And there was this sort of, my guess is that, you know, your mindset was at ease. There was a sort of a peace, uh, a, a presence and in the moment. And, you know, that is achievable over and over and over if you practice and get into it. And the people who are the best in the world at anything, like I have come to learn again through my own experiences and, and deconstructing the work of the people that I love and admire and appreciate that I'm close to or that I've studied from a distance like mindset matters especially around creativity and intention and who you're spending time with and what you put into that muscle that's between your ears so I found a lot of value in getting to talk about that last time and I'm presumably maybe we can take some questions about it here I write about it a lot in, in creative calling. Um, and it's just, I think, radically underrepresented. So we, we can talk, we can go wherever you want to go. I just find that that is an underrepresented topic. Most people want gear or technique or tactic when, you know, there's all of those things can be incremental improvements. But if you are listening or watching right now, or I guess not watching, <laughs> if you're listening and like step change transformation is interesting to you, like, how do you not just like achieve your 10 year goals, but how do you achieve your 10 year goals in six months or not just, you know, become a published author or start your own design firm or, you know, launch a product. But how do you how is it used by tens of millions of people like the, that, that sort of, I guess, that radical step change I find has very most to do with mindset. Uh, and of course, there's a bunch of factors that go into it, but just radically important. So I, I enjoyed that last time and think we should touch on it here, but we can also take it anywhere you want to go. And no, that's, people may have questions about creative calling or whatever. That's the plan. I, you know, I think that last time we sort of premised it around this idea of, you know, let's not talk about gear. Let's not talk about lighting. And your book is very much not about those sorts of subjects. It's very much about how you create that kind of mindset. So we're excited to dive into it. Um, before we do, if we can just briefly do some introductions, um, just to kind of kick the room off, um, and then we'll dive right in. I, Waleed and I have been talking today, we both had a chance to dive into the book and we have lots of sort of questions that, we, that you know, things that we highlighted in the book that we just wanna hear you kind of expand upon, which are so, so amazing at doing um, as already um, shown. But if we can just quickly uh, do some introductions and then we'll dive right into it, um, Waleed. Sure, sure, sure. Thanks, Matthew. Um, what's going on, everybody? My name is Walid. I'm a photographer, director, and I'm also, I call myself a photo mentor for the past five plus years. I've been helping the photography community um, by way of my Instagram and my YouTube channel for the most part now here also on Clubhouse. And I've been using my big wins in my career, whether it's photographing a celebrity or magazine or for a big brand, to giving access to photographers that I wish that I had when I first started. But it doesn't, it's not just about the wins. Um, I also share a lot of my losses. And I think that that's important for all of us to do. So that's what I'm doing here on Clubhouse. And 
I just want to say, uh, Chase, as part of my intro, I was telling Matthew, this book, I, I was like, I felt like this book spoke to me. And then he had a response right back for me after I said that. But um, but Matthew, you wanted to go ahead and say what you said right back? I was like, oh, touche. Well, I was just, I, I, it was interesting, you know, we were talking earlier in that like this book will meet you no matter where are you, where, where you are in your career. Like there's something in this book for you, no matter if you're just starting, if you're deep into it. Um, and, and we were kind of reflecting back on that earlier. No, thank you. And, and he's absolutely correct. I was like, okay, I guess it's just not all about me, but I love this book. <laughs> and, um, so that's hard for me to accept sometimes, you know, but, um, over the past several years, I've had photographers ask me so many questions and I think that this book touched on so many of those. That's why I'm really excited to be here today to make sure that we can expand, um, with you, the author. So I appreciate your time. And my name is Walid Matthew. You're next. Um, yeah, briefly, my name is Matthew Young. I'm a photographer. I'm a director. I started as a photo assistant and I worked my way through kind of every conceivable photo job. But now I've spent the last 10 years getting to travel the world and shoot campaigns for big clients like Amex and Bose and Apple. And it's kind of the life that I always dreamed of. Um, but something that I've always been inspired to do along the way and, and chase, you know, candidly inspired a lot by you and your journey and what you've done is to try to build community and support other creatives along the way. Um, so I started something called Art of Freelance, which is a peer-to-peer -peer accountability workshop that we've been doing the past five years. Um, and for instance, right now we have 100 creatives in these small cohorts um, showing up each week for an hour to kind of hold each other accountable and support each other as they do portfolio projects and, and build their portfolios. And it's, it's very much sort of inspired by um, things that I think you've spoken a lot about, you know, in your podcast and, uh, in, and now in this book, um, which we're going to dive into right now. But Chase, do you want to just give us the, the, the brief sort of, um, you know, introduction for you and then we can dive into the book? Uh, sure. If you're not familiar with me or my work, um, I'm a lifelong uh, photographer, entrepreneur, identify as a creator. Um, I bailed on all of the dreams that everybody else had for me in a rather a number of awkward, inconvenient ways throughout the early part of my life. I uh, was good at disappointing the people that were closest to me because uh, despite their great intentions, um, you know, writing a prescription for someone else's life or the flip side of that being prescribed what life ought to be for each of us, um, just that didn't add up in my psyche. And after sort of going along with it for a long time, I recognized that that was not how I wanted to spend my one precious life on this planet. And just endeavored to change it. So I, I bailed on a career in professional soccer. I dropped out of uh, a PhD in philosophy and I bailed on medical school in three consecutive years uh, in order to become a, uh, a professional photographer. And uh, the rest is well chronicled online, um, but not dissimilar to uh, Walid and Matthew, my goal is to live a very creative life, um, imbue my life with creativity in every conceivable fashion, and ultimately help others achieve their dreams and career and hobby in life. Uh, I did the first iPhone app that was a social network around photography called Best Camera. It was app of the year in 20, 2009, I guess. And I'm the founder of Creative Live, which has served tens and tens of millions of uh, photographers, designers, entrepreneurs from uh, around the world for the last decade. Um, 
my background. And a prolific podcast host of the amazing Chase uh, Jarvis live show, and now the author of this fantastic book, Creative Calling, which we're excited to dive into yeah. with you Thank now. You. Um, and but let me so, let me let me just like backpack onto that for just a second. Yeah. Like those things are, um, I think those are things that you might you know find about me on the internet. But those are like very core to the journey that. You know, the podcast, for example, started out as a live show where we had, you know, would have hundreds of people in the real in-studio audience. This is, you know, 10 years ago, we were broadcasting live and 50,000 people would watch. And what I was really trying to do is pick the brains of other creators and entrepreneurs, people who were Grammy award-winning artists, uh, Pulitzer Prize winners, um, you know, movie stars, fashion icons, entrepreneurs, people who were not in my swim lane and learn the lessons that they had learned along the way. It's not dissimilar to why you would buy a book. It's because you can <laughs> learn so much from, you don't have to touch your hand to know that the stove is hot. You can watch somebody else burn their hand. And, you know, that's how the podcast started out. And that's, you know, if you haven't read Creative Calling, that's, you know, I've basically put my entire life, all the lessons I've learned as a creator and entrepreneur in into that book. And, so like I, there's this meta narrative that I think underscores the conversation today, which is like as a, it's not an accident, for example, that I started a lifelong learning company in Creative Live because I myself am a lifelong learner. And so I, I think that that is a, um, you guys talked in your intros about giving back, you know, if the first arc of, of one's life, and I, I certainly looked at this for my life, the first arc was around acquiring, right? Acquiring skills, acquiring knowledge, acquiring resources. The second arc that I'm trying to be in here is around giving back and, you know, disproportionately investing in time and energy and creative live uh, in writing books, in hosting the show, which is now twice a you know weekly episode, the Chase Jarvis Live show twice a week. And I think that is part of what makes the creative universe go round, right? We're sort of rising tide floating all the boats and it's very different than it used to be 10 years ago because we take this stuff for granted but you know hopefully that's why again gina and julie and jer and ben and bruce and joel and soren and matt are on the call right now because you know there's we all have something to learn here and i'm you know i happen to be the <laughs> i guess the subject of the conversation today but uh you know there's lots to learn from every vector around our career hobby and our lives. Now, I love all of that. And I think it's a great place to, to dive into some of the questions about the, the book. Sure. Like sure. You've, 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 you just mentioned all of the things that you've done and how following your intuition and, and scratching creative itches helped you um, find success and find these different um, projects that became so important to you. Um, your book is broken up into these four sections um, where um, you sort of imagine what your life can be, you design sort of how you're going to create it, you execute on the projects that are going to lead you there. And then the last chapter is, is called, the last section is called Amplify, which is about finding community and, and building an audience. Um, yep. in, this, in this first section, this, this imagine section, um, as you're talking about all these different things that you've done, this question came up for me 
where I was wondering your thought about, we get this this like apocryphal advice we've heard where if you want to like win the war, then go burn your boats on the enemy shore so there's no turning back. And I've heard you have conversations about that on your podcast, but I've also heard you very specifically promote a strategy of easing into new skills and careers and practices and scratching creative itches. Um, and I guess I was wondering, you know, in the book, you say there comes a time when you have to burn the boats, but that you suggest this process of, of scratching your curiosity and trying lots of things. I'm, I'm curious how you think about weighing those two things, how you balance those two things, like going all in on a new project that you're excited by sure. um, versus trying new things. And Sure, sure. Uh, great, great topic to explore and plenty of layers of the onion there. Um, you know, I've also been recognized for saying you got two jobs in life one find the thing you're supposed to do and then two do that thing and for the people who found that thing and you know i'm guessing when i you know speak in front of a room of a thousand people or whatever and i say who knows what they're supposed to be doing with their life and you know i would say you know 50 percent of the people raise their hand so if we take that you know analog here and apply it to the the you know 100 or so people who are listening right now then that's a 50, 50 people are going, I don't know what that thing is. So I want to first talk to that group. This is a beautiful place to be. And right now you're probably looking at the people to your left and to your right and the people uh, in your um, family circle and friend circle. And, you know, some of them, you might be disproportionately focusing your attention on the people who know what they're supposed to do because, you know, that's where you're at right now. You don't have that. And so you're looking and you're seeking and to those folks, like this, the curiosity it, that we are um, wired with as children, I don't know if you've watched a child play lately, but just the imagination and the curiosity and the willingness to try things without that voice in our head, we do ourselves such a disservice by not living in the moment and by telling ourselves you know, and this is a survival mechanism, you know, justifiably. So we, we know why it happens, but, oh, I'm not going to go over there and, you know, you know, jam on my guitar with this person. Cause I did lived it last time and we didn't create anything and it was kind of a waste of my time or they were better than I was or whatever. And so we tell ourselves all these stories and we don't do things. We don't go, we don't try. And if you're, a person who doesn't know the thing that you're, you're put on this planet to do or one of the things, the main thing, I would just try and audit your thoughts. Like, are you, are you sitting there right now not doing all these things because you have, you know, you've told yourself the story of how it's going to be if you tried it. I think that is a tremendous um, blind spot for most people. And so if you are in that position, what if you had a different attitude, which is saying yes to so many things and you're tasting and you're trying and you're experiencing like to me, that is a, that is a, an orientation. That is a part of a mindset that is like the, you know, you've heard the childlike mindset, the beginner's mindset, the world automatically becomes interesting. If you can find yourself doing, you know, these things or, or you can permit yourself or cultivate a, even if you have to force yourself in this moment where you're saying yes to shit you would otherwise say no to. I, I think to that same group, I would also suggest that, you know, the thing, and I, I hinted at it earlier, but for every single person who's listening right now, there have been times in your life where everything was going right, where it felt good, 
and you were doing something you liked with your time, even if it was for a weekend, a month, a season, a year, five years, a job, I don't, I don't want to be prescriptive. It was just things were going great. It felt good. It felt natural. I would invite you to deconstruct those things. And you could say, well, you know, I was only 24 at the time and now I'm 36. And so it was just youth or, you know, stop that talk. Just deconstruct. What was it? You were, you know, on a photo shoot around the world with your friends skateboarding for Thrasher magazine and cool. So then let's investigate skateboarding. Let's investigate spending more time with your friends. Let's investigate, you know, what were some of those things that you enjoyed? Who were you hanging out with? What sparked that imagination? And believe it or not, you can get pretty damn close. And in the last couple of years, I've uncovered a handful of things from my past that you know, still just have re-energized me in a number of ways. And so this I, this two-part idea, right, this idea of a childlike wonder and appreciation and an openness and a stopping yourself from telling yourself the story of how it's going to be, just remaining open and curious. And then part two, looking back at the times that were joyful and were you fulfilled and exciting and what kind of people were you around? How are you spending your time? What were you doing? And then the last point on that, for that 50% of the people who don't know what you're supposed to be doing with your life, like just reserve judgment, like hold off on judgment. I love morning pages. I think journaling about the things that you're feeling and thinking and learning. This is a very productive aspect of, uh, of this process. And this is not something that accidentally just happens. This is I believe uh, a an exercise that you can do, not dissimilar to, you know, getting in shape. If you want to start uh, finding this thing, then trying and sampling and tasting. All right, that's fifty percent of the people. Then there's the other fifty percent that you know what you're supposed to be doing. And for you, this let's go back to the way way beginning of this conversation where I was saying, like the difference between the people who touch and or do what they want to do with their lives and the people who are 10xing it is largely mindset so i would ask you the first question you know part that i asked in the book which is really like can you imagine for yourself what you what what you want to do with this particular thing that is your call have you truly imagined what's possible or is your imagination, this is a skill we've largely lost. And this is why I talk about it so much in the book. Because, you know, it turns out that 90% of our imagination has been shaped by our culture, by our career counselors, by our parents, our peers, our, our spouses, our friends. And it turns out that that's largely an anchor, even around those people who love you dearly. And so I would ask that other 50% of the people, you know, can what can you actually imagine what would make your heart sing and how you'd want to spend your time and this this works with respect to an individual project or a life it works with what are you going to you know what's going to what's your website going to look like next week can you imagine that or can you imagine what you want for your you know the next 20 years this is part of why i i distilled the book into these four parts imagine design, execute, and amplify. This is, these are four steps to a creative process that can unlock anything. So to go back to your question there, the, 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 and I realize we're going full circle, the, 
this idea of going all in or burning the boats, that is actually a secondary step to you deciding like are if if you're wondering if this thing is your thing, it's probably not. For the fifty percent of the people who are listening that for whom this is they've got their juice, this to me is the process to run. You need to imagine what's possible, design your future, execute against that, and then bring a lot of people along the way. And if you don't, my God, start experimenting. And this whole idea of burning the boats and going all in or not, that's that's uh, a second order problem. Chase, I have a quick follow-up on that one. You said that you just recently rediscovered a couple of things from the past. What were, would you mind even opening up about maybe one of those? I'll share two because they're radically divergent from one another. And I think they're both probably not expected. So um, one is writing. And, you know, it's not an accident that I wrote all this in a book and that we're talking about it. And you know, I'm excited that it was a virtual instant bestseller, but it's because I worked my ass off. It took years. <laughs> it, was, it was so hard. And it's not an accident that I became a photographer and a filmmaker because you basically press record or, you know, you're pressing a shutter and you're recording instant after instant or, in a, you know, in a, in a video scenario, you're, you know, recording the moment. That's instant. You you captured the thing versus writing is for me is slow and cumbersome and I can always get there. But what I've reimagined for myself around writing as a non-native writer, as someone who understands writing, remember I was in a PhD program in philosophy, which is largely about writing your thoughts. So to, to have come through that and still struggle writing to me has, has, has been reborn and I find it radically important for galvanizing my thoughts. If you can't write this shit down in a way that makes sense to you, it's going to be very hard for you to action against it in the world. So I have undergone a transformation where I'm writing on a regular basis. It's I do have another book in the works. It's not yet. Um, I can't nothing I can talk about yet, but this process of writing regularly as a vehicle for personal professional clarity is again, it was in my past. I enjoyed writing in the, my past and then I became a photographer and I wrote as little as possible. And, and so that's one thing um, on the completely different tangent. Um, I, played golf as a young kid because I lived on a golf course and my dad golfed. And therefore that made me a golfer. I ended up working in the summers in the golf course. And it was mostly just a way to, you know, make five bucks an hour and uh, have some responsibility on the summer, you know, in, in the summers. But when COVID and I basically stopped golfing for 20 years for a number of reasons, it was expensive. I was poor, uh, you know, in college, for example, I was also very busy playing soccer. Um, and, and then life happens. And I also like I mostly don't align with and don't appreciate country club culture, the barriers that golf signals. And yet I believe we're sort of on the cusp of a new era for the sport. And without going too far down that rabbit hole, when the when <laughs> the pandemic hit in in uh, a year ago, March, there was nothing else that you could do in Seattle, at least where we were first and arguably hardest hit early on. The only thing that was open was golf courses. That's all you could do. And so I started golf again. And I used to like the rhetoric in my mind was 
who has four hours to go follow a little white ball, you know, around, you know, the grass and, you know, let alone find joy in that. And what happened to me post pandemic was, oh my God, this is something that keeps me from working 24 hours a day to actually focus my attention on something else, to be able to be with a group of my friends outside safely engaging you know, moving my body in a way that's fun. And to reality, like golf is really freaking hard. to be. It's, it's okay to be, it's not too hard to be decent. It's very hard to be very good. So the obsessive part of me got back into golf. And there's a half a dozen other examples. I'm just using these as, these are things that, you know, in the previous 10 years didn't find, didn't bring me a lot of joy. And I look back, like what were things that I enjoyed as a kid when I'm, either stagnant or stuck or writing uh, was a, a great example and, and playing golf and there are countless others, but just, you know, whatever the thing is, it's less about writing or golf and what could be true for you. Cause every single person here, if you're stuck, there are things in your past that were freaking awesome. How can you go back and tap into those? And right now you got to stop that voice in your head that says, no, I can't because I'm this age and people that age don't do that anymore. Last thing I'll do before I hand the mic back is recommend a book called Play It Away. It's by a guy named Charlie Hone, who was a longtime assistant for Tim Ferriss, a dear friend of mine, and I met Charlie through Tim. Charlie wrote a book about this, and it's about how to, to um, basically mitigate anxiety through play and how we don't have enough play in our life. Back to you guys. Excited to read this book, Play It Away. Um, and, and this is a, like a really clear idea that you lay out of, if you don't know what your thing is, try a lot of things, experiment, scratch all the creative itches. And if you do know what your thing is, burn the ships, you know, lean in a yep. hundred. But I do like feel like a, a tiny bit of tension within the way that you describe. And I think that all of us feel where there's like all of these little things. It's like, I know what my thing is. I'm a photographer. I love it. I don't want to give it up. It's, it's what, you know, I, I feel like I'm so lucky to have found a true calling. However, there's all these other small creative itches and scratches and things that I want to try and things to explore. And so I guess just as a quick follow-up, just curious how you in your own mind weigh golf and writing with being the CEO <laughs> of a big company, with your podcast, with all of these things that you do. It's like you found your true calling multiple times. Yeah. And I guess I'm just curious sort of your, your thoughts around how you balance those things. Ah, okay. I like that. That's sort of the next level deeper. Um, I need to think about that. Um, all right, here's the thing. I believe that in pulling the thread on the thing that you know about yourself, that whether it's inconvenient or not, you pursue because you're following your intuition. This is not the intuition of your career counselor or your spouse or even uh, your friends, your parents, people who have your theoretically have your interests in mind. When you know the thing and you decide to pull on that thread and you go from what feels like pushing a rock uphill to running downhill and because it feels natural, that is tapping into you know, I talk about in the book is hearing your calling and, and walking your path. And you tap into those things, 
something happens. The world starts happening for you rather than to you. And these other areas of your life, you we just use the example of writing for me or um, or some of these other projects for which I have received some notoriety. When you're doing the thing that you're supposed to be doing, those things happen and those things emerge naturally. You create space for those things. You cultivate the relationships that bring those things into your life. And so it's almost a, it's like you can't actually even understand, you can, you can grasp it conceptually, but until you've actually tapped into it, where those, those, those feel instead like burdens that I have to choose from one thing or another, and instead feel like logical, natural extensions of what you do, uh, then it's very hard for me to explain but you have to trust me. And if you talk to anyone who's doing their things or or who's found their way into a bunch of different projects that all have a similar slant to them, and you're like, wow, I wish I could weave all of that shit together for myself, they have, I would bet, tapped into this. And I'll just give you an example, one that you've already used, which is the show. You talked about how do you how were you a photographer and an entrepreneur and have this show and because they were all woven together in a tightly knit package for me that made a ton of sense to my brain and the staff that I had working with me and the people in my community that were paying attention. They're like, oh, of course, Chase is going to do a live broadcast show where he has guests that are creative geniuses that inspire him. That's totally natural for Chase. And so it started becoming like, how do I right size this thing for all the other things that I want to do and not whether or not I should do it? Now, to be fair, the only way you can understand those things is by taking a chance and by, you know, tapping back to that point we made earlier around experimenting and, and being curious and having childlike wonder. And, and then there's this natural sort of convergence that happens. And, and this is like, there's a fair bit of science to this, this idea of the world happening for you rather than to you when you're doing the things that, that, that feel good to you. This is following your intuition these are you know this is um you know one part quantum physics one part being a human being who you know has desires and is passionate about things and and is listening to the universe like you know that's i, I think um it it is largely misunderstood but again if you've tapped into this then you know what i'm talking about and if you haven't my prescription is it doesn't seem to me that you're pulling on the threads that actually interest you. It sounds to me, you know, in counseling, I would say tens of thousands of people on this matter that you're doing all of the shit that everybody else wants you to do. And you were taught that that is a virtue in our culture. And certainly if you have children and responsibilities and, but I would ask the follow-up question, like, won't those people in your life want you to be the very best you and there's a reason that if you get on an airplane, they don't say, okay, in the, if we lose cabin pressure, the first thing you do is put your oxygen mask on your kid. No, they say, you know, put your oxygen mask on yourself before assisting other passengers. And, and so I would beg of you, if you're not tapped into that thing, that you start to look at, are you actually pulling on that thread? Because if you do, I don't know too many people who pull on that thread 
and not been able to start to pull some of these things together. Think of yourself. I mean, Walid, you introduced yourself, you know, with like 10 hyphens, right? You're like, I like to do this and this and this and this. And it's like, we can tell that you're in a flow state. And look, there's the Instagram world. And is it a little messy? Maybe. Sure. And to be fair, I'm not trying to say we should make a dollar in 10 different places in our life to to pull together an income where we can make $10 because that's maybe too messy. I'm talking about leaning into the things that feel good to you. And if you it's, do, that's you, you've life happens for you, not to you. Chase, I want to say something um, to that. And I actually, I want to make a statement first about this book and why I was just trying to think of like why it stuck to me so much. Right. And then I have a question, of course. Um, I feel like this book is a a manual for professional instincts and um i was on stage with pat flynn i don't know if you're familiar with him but uh he did flynn con i was on stage with him as one of his guests and i was telling the story about basically how i started my career and i added that human beings are the only living creatures on the on the face of this planet that teach their children to kill their instincts no other animal does that we do that and I think that this book is trying to re help rebuild that muscle. And I think that this book is encouraging people to learn how to walk again, you know, instinctually. And yeah. that to me was when I made that realization in my life, I thought, oh, my God. But I realized my mom and dad and everyone else's mom and dad did it because they wanted us to have an easier time in this world, to not go against the grain, to not have such a difficult life. But that's why I really, really admire this book. So I just wanted to say that. And then a quick thing too, everybody, you can go to creativecalling.com and then there will be buttons there to get this book at any place, Amazon. Um, let's see. There's... I had the list in front of me, Amazon, oh. Barnes and Noble, Apple Books, Audible, bam, <laughs> lots of different ones. Got to do my job. Yeah, try and support the indies if you can. But, Please. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad to hear you say that. Again, that's, you know, I, I think that in, in the intro of the book I talk about, if you're here to become a better artist, this absolutely will supercharge your creative endeavors. But this is really a book about life and how to live it because, as you mentioned, I do believe we've gotten out of touch with, you know, this, the, the, the most precious aspects of ourselves. And that is our own individual individuality, our contribution, our opportunity to, you know, this one precious life. And, um, and, and I do just to be crystal clear, like that's the Trojan horse aspect of the book. People pick it up and it is an, it is, you know, a lot of people like Julia Cameron's The Artist Way, they're like, oh, it's going to help me in my creativity. And yes, I'm, there's not a bunch of individual writing exercises. This is, you know, let's zoom out for a second. There's a lot of very, very particular stories and anecdotes and tools that will help you, you know, around your creativity with a capital C. Absolutely. And, and then I guess the question that I really had about the book was there's a part I believe it might have been under the ima um, imagine section where I, I was chuckling. Okay, I audiobooked it. Okay, but I still read the book. <laughs> I'm checking. I'm checking it off as a as a read. But um, you said you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to fit the box. You don't have to dress in all black if you want to <laughs> be a fashion designer. And I because I got such a visualization of that. But 
if you wouldn't mind expanding a little bit on the importance of not trying to fit into a box, a perfect checklist, and not even so much in the immediate, but the longevity of your career, how that could be devastating. So let me know your thoughts on that. Let's look at Beeple for a second. So the dude is one of the like the most important artists ever. He just sold his NFT for $69 million. And the guy looks like a dentist, right? I mean, he's like, <laughs> he's like and, and so take away this idea that you have to wear the beret and smoke the cigarette and have to have lived X kind of a childhood or live in Y hardship in order to like tap. That is all bullshit. That is all a story. It is a lie sold to us by suckers. And every single person, like we are creating machines. You talked about different species on the planet. We are also the only, this is what our creativity separates us from damn near every species on the planet. And so to not lean into that as an attribute, as a virtue, is just denying so many fundamental aspects of who you are and what you're capable of. Just as a, as a fundamental, like, like, we don't even need to go any further, like, full stop, you are a creating machine. And I like to think of creating as creating with a capital C. I said it a second ago. Sure, we think about creativity with a small C, like photography, design, entrepreneurship, building a business. But you know what? Like passionate, like joy-filled lives, they aren't found. You don't find, I don't know why they call us founders, right? They should be, they should call us creators because I didn't find shit with creative life. I built it with blood and sweat and tears and hundreds of other people have come together to do this work. And the same is true for you, for anything. It's, we are creating machines and my God, like it's time to put that little chunk of creative plutonium in you, your soul, your heart, all those things, put that into action with a capital C, right? It's, it's like those things, this, this life, this, it's specifically not just success. I think we're obsessed with success. But what about fulfillment? And for every person who has mastered this, this balance of, of success and fulfillment, it, they've created that intentionally. And so why wouldn't we teach that in schools? Why wouldn't we have a creative for, framework like idea, imagine, design, execute, amplify? Because that's, you know, we just need some, <laughs> we need the basics. We're not even taught the basics. We're taught the basics of, you know, of uh, the Pythagorean theorem in like, what is that, seventh grade? But we're Horrible. Not yeah, but we're not taught, you know, these, these, are, and that's, you know, there's reasons that our school system is the way it is, but I just want to underscore that that's like a, it's, it's a very critical aspect of being human that we are, you know, that we go around largely denying. And I, I, I am hoping to wake that up in anyone who's, you know, listening or reading. So, I mean, I, I love this conversation. Like, I'm, I'm so excited by all what we're talking about. I love that you brought up people in the sale and like, you know, that he doesn't look the role of the right. artist that's going to be the whatever third most, you know, highest selling living artist. Um, but, 
and I think that Beeple's success has a lot to do with like consistency, right? He put for out sure. a piece of work every day for years and years and years. Um, and there's so, there's so much patience in that, like he just kept creating even when there wasn't financial incentive or financial return. And so I guess I'm curious, like how you think about like, patience versus ambition like i think that, mm. that you were mm. you were talking about success and i sure. love that you think about fulfillment and not success um and so how do you think about patience versus mm. ambition yeah. yeah well ambition is unfortunately sort of a, a dirty word and it doesn't need to be i think you know people everyone wants to like create success and fulfillment and seem as if they're not trying hard <laughs> which is bizarre to me but uh, i understand it um comes naturally I, it's just easy yeah, well i no i like i like short-term urgency long-term patience it's just like I, if you if you were inside of my head or if you worked with me or for me you would see this like on display virtually at all times like there is like, what are we going to do in the next five minutes? We have to get this out. We got to do this. This is on deadline. We have to, you know, there's this a desire to, uh, you know, be and do and make and iterate. And, and yet this belief that like a long-term belief, whether that's an internal sort of uh, belief or calmness or awareness or, um, you know, we could probably attach a bunch of labels to it, but uh, if we decide not to do that and just think about, I like to think of life being long. You know, we got this this saying in our culture that life is short, and sure, you know, I'm, gosh, it feel I didn't that the last two years went by really quickly for everybody, but ultimately, like, we're gonna have so many experiences. We'll have multiple careers, multiple. Um, arcs of our life and this sort of the patience around allowing yourself to dream and to be and to just like taste you know go back to the earlier conversation again i keep doing that but like cool like you don't have to have everything figured out and we have this belief in our culture that everyone to your left and to your right has their shit figured out and you're the only one who's late for the bus which is just not true. I mean, you know, it's, you know, I think Branson told me that ideas are like buses. There's always going to be another one that's coming along. And it's your, it's your job to just be aware of which ones are coming along and which ones actually are buses you feel like you have to catch and which ones are not. And to me, that is, it goes back to that same sort of cycle of self-awareness and play and authenticity. And, and so, you know, to go to, back to the top of your question, to me, there's a short-term urgency. I love to do and make and try and, you know, execute with the day that I have now, with the next hour I have, or with the meeting or the project. But I know there's gonna be more projects. I know that I'm gonna bump into some dead ends. And, and this, this sort of um, harmony between those two, even though they're on the surface opposite, right? urgency and patience uh i think that's 
you know, how my experience, and I'll, I will add that this is, this is a common theme amongst people that I've had on the show. I mean, when was the last time Tim Ferriss wrote a book? It was years ago. But you know what? The next book that's coming out from him can be a fucking banger. <laughs> right? And he, and he gets was, his emails out every Friday. He's got the urgency yeah, yeah. of what's right in front of him. <laughs> For sure. You know, when was, was the last thing that Shonda Rhimes did? Or, like, there, there, you could just say this about so many people, and yet, in your mind, have you have they, like... Where did they go? What, what, you know, are they gone? No, you're just like, okay, cool. You kind of have to go away to come back again. And that's, you know, the last point I'll make there is we live in, you know, look around, depending on what hemisphere you're in right now, the season will be different. But for us in the Northern hemisphere here, we're in spring and things are blooming and growing and the days are getting longer. There's more sunshine. Like that's the time to be outside, to be doing you know, things that you weren't doing in the dead of winter. Life has seasons in the same way that our our weather and our clocks and our biology and our cultures are wired for. You know, professional athletes have seasons. They don't play football year like every week for fifty two weeks. They play sixteen weeks of football. Because you can't play six you can't play football at that level year round. And nor can you in your professional career, in your personal life, in your, you know, career development and your, you know, being a parent and balancing that with, you know, it's like, it's just not possible. So if you could start to think of things in seasons, that's where this sort of patience comes in. If you don't have all the ideas, great. Cultivate your mind, like put yourself in a fertile environment. This is why I love humans. I love being inspired. I read voraciously. And I think that is a characteristic that so many people that I know, it's like, you don't have to love, you don't have to be an extrovert. That's not at all what I'm saying. But you have to love, you have to be curious, you have to be willing to explore, take ideas from others and mash them into something and make them your own. Like that, it, doing that with a seasonality in mind is, that is this short-term urgency, long-term patience. Chase, I love the idea of just practical ways and so that season one is huge actually i mean even though it was in the book i it's it's great to be reminded um i'm all i'm always struck by how many people are walking around i call them sleepy wanderers you know and for you it took an avalanche spoiler alert everybody he was under an avalanche um to change your complacency do you have any day-to-day practical methods that help people wake up and just take some action that first step Mm. um that's a great question because i just don't want people waiting for big tragic events you know and that's i i i went into some pretty pretty detailed accounts about this exact topic and this goes back to like how we think about this one precious life. Like right now there's someone who's listening, who's saying, my God, he's describing me. I'm doing the thing that I'm not supposed to be doing. I'm justifying it because I think this is what my kids need or my spouse needs or like, and it's killing me and it's making me sick. And it's like, and my ask is first awareness and authenticity with yourself right you've got to like come to terms with this 
Now, what you shared uh, a little spoiler in the book is this was one of the things that woke me up. I was shooting a Nike campaign up in Alaska. I was caught in an avalanche. And for every, by every measure, I should be dead. Every measure. There's, I mean, it's a total miracle that I'm here. And I was like, okay. I mean, as soon as that night, like my reflection was, all right, I'm going to change a bunch of stuff. And I didn't, this, you know, go back to patience. I didn't feel like I had to, like, I went in one person and came out another. It's not that kind. It's like how I wanted to spend my time and my energy. And part of why this is, you know, the book has a couple, there's a little full circle moment in the book at the beginning and the end, which, you know, ties this all together. But the same is true. Like, I, I wish that we didn't need these catastrophic events. You know, another piece of the book is I became a photographer in part because my grandfather dropped dead of a heart attack. And one of the things that I got from him was his camera. And he was like a camera nerd. And so I got a bunch of his cameras. And, you know, like, I don't want to wait for someone to die in my life to tap into the thing I'm supposed to be doing. I don't want to almost die myself. And I'm sure that if you're listening to this right now, that you'd like to be able just through doing work and through this key point of being aware, awareness of the life that you're living and honestness and on, an honesty and an integrity that you have with and of yourself to make choices that are going to give you the life that you desire and deserve. And so the book is literally one of the reasons I wrote the book. It was part of that promise that I made to share this sort of the, in ruthlessly practical terms. Go back to your point earlier. This is not about, you know, getting a different set of friends and moving to Paris and wearing a beret. And that is not what this means. You have the tools around you to start today to take one step in the direction of the life that you're supposed to be leading. And the cool thing is that you might be 10,000 hours away or 10,000 miles or 10 years or whatever, but you're one decision away. The decision to decide to do that thing, to pursue the thing that you know, or find the thing that you're supposed to be doing if you don't know. And I think that is very empowering. So, you know, to, 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 the, to your question, like this is the essence of the book is discovering that in in ourselves without having to suffer trauma because you you've heard it a hundred times like someone's spouse dies and then they decide that they're finally gonna fill in the blank do x why did they have to wait for their spouse to die and right now there's someone who's in a bullshit job doing a thing that they hate it's, it's not serving them and I'm hoping to light a small fire under your hiney that will motivate you. I'm not saying get a different set of friends. I'm not saying sell the house. I'm not saying go all in. I'm saying start walking in the direction that you know to be true for you. And damn, what a better place the planet would be. Agreed. Yeah. So what, what if we flip the conversation quickly to people that do know 
what they want to do. They are following their path. They are yep. exploring their creativity. They are making a career out of it. But you talk in the book in this, you know, in, in the um, the execute section, you know, there's dips in your creative path. It, it gets yep. hard. Like, you, you know, there's times where you're saying I suck. Um, <laughs> so what do you do, Chase, when you're it, when you're writing and you're like, what the fuck am I writing? I'm not a great writer. What's going on? Like, what, how do you push through the creative blocks? I mean, is it like, like what, what do you go back to? Um, sure. Is it just practice? Is it just mindset? Is accountability? Like, yeah, what are the things that you, that you use? There are tools in the book that I think outline it in, in a much greater detail. Um, so like, if you want to get that granular, definitely read the book. But for me, there's just a couple of, categories of things and i'll talk about those categories one is to do something else stop doing the thing that you're doing not stop as in like i'm writing a book and i'm stuck so i'm going to take two years off and go do a screenplay or you know start a startup that's not what i mean i mean go on vacation i mean go on a walk i mean go you know, throw the ball with your kid. I mean, do something to change your orientation to the work. Another is, and this is again, where there's a lot of very detailed steps to do if you're stuck in the book, but another one is to actually, uh, I like to have a couple of different projects rotating. I usually have one big one, uh, you know, one to two medium ones and a couple of small ones. And I will just shift gears and go on to another thing because I'm stuck. And this piece that I'm writing is not getting any better. I know it's getting worse. And by walking away and actually working on something else, not taking a vacation or not going, not going to play it away to cite Charlie Holmes book again, but to actually work on something else, I find that I get I've got energy for the for the other thing in large part because it's new and it's like, oh, cool, I can pick up the thread and I can jog with it again. So to me, there's this, and this is where developing these muscles and a number of strategies for getting unstuck serves how it will serve you the most. And, and you know, this category of, you know, drop the rope, you can't, in a tug of war with something if you just set the rope down and go play like usually burning off some steam going to work out unleashing some of that pent-up anxiety or frustration is super helpful other times shifting gears and doing some different type of work and then there's this third strategy which is say you're on deadline and you can't drop the rope you can't afford to walk away and go work on your book when you really need to finish the, you know, the commercial that you're editing, you have to actually push through. And in that case, there's a bunch of techniques. One is called the Pomodoro technique, which is you set yourself up with a timer and you work for a lot of time, say it's uh, 45 minutes uninterrupted. And it, you just wait for that buzzer to go off. And then that buzzer goes off and then you go do something else for 15 minutes. You go, you know, get a PB and J sandwich, you go for a walk outside, you come back and, and that will, there's a handful of techniques around if you have to get something done, but you know, let's zoom out for a second and say, the reason that we're even talking about this is because all this shit is normal. 
<laughs> these are we often think that we are the only person who's suffering with this right now and that we're the first human on the planet to have this problem of too much to do and not enough time we're overwhelmed or i turn this in and my boss slash partner slash audience slash client thinks it sucks we're the first person who's um you know faced writer's block like no and you're not alone that's part of what you know this community who's listening to this call right now and the people who uh you know who are you know read creative calling and you know joined all the various book clubs around the world and taking the classes that are out there or creative live or anything else it's like you're not alone the shit that is normal and you know in the particular your your existence lies universal these are truths for all of us that's one of the reasons that community you know i.e this call is so powerful because even if just for a second you realize like oh shit, it's good to know that chase struggles with some of this too and it's good to know that you know fernando and juliet and lindsay also struggle like that's you know another crazy valuable aspect of community so if this idea of getting unstuck whether capital u in life or small you the project that you're working on is at all um interesting to you i wrote it in in the book it was you know it's part of the part of the topic that we're talking about here but it's you know or you can whatever it's on all a lot of the stuff uh that i'm sharing right now is can be i don't know grokked from all the stuff that i put out in the world but you're not alone you're wickedly creative. The people that you look up to, respect, and admire, they got a lot of the same shit that you got or worse. And yet, the lives that they're leading were largely very, very intentional. That did not just happen. It was not through, you know, overnight. It was 10 years of blood, sweat, and tears. And that's okay. The shitty part is not knowing, which is why we started at that point in the conversation at the beginning of this call. And so job one is to find the thing. Job two is to do that thing. If you haven't found the thing, go back and listen to this recording. And if you have found the thing, then wait, if you haven't found the thing, then we gave you some pointers. And if you have found the thing, then by God, do it because that's, you know, so many things are going to unlock. You start pulling on the threads of doing the thing that you're supposed to be doing. Chase, I have the quickest follow-up question, but I know that Matthew is father time right now. Um, sure. We have a <laughs> Matthew. Do you want to ask a question? I don't know if you want to if you want to take a question if that was part of it or not. If it's not, that's fine. I'm I'm good with not doing it. The the fourth sure. uh, section of your book is about amplifying. It's about building an audience, building a community, building a tribe, sharing. It's about not being afraid to put yourself out there and hear haters say, "I don't like it." Um, well, Lee, you had, you had a question about sort of the haters and how you deal with putting yourself out in the world. I'd like, uh, I'd like if you follow us up with the last question before we let Chase. Sure. Uh, thank you very much. Chase, one of the parts that I, I love in the book is that when we, well, you wrote about, um, haters will become your compass. I, I just wish that was almost even a chapter title, right? Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it's just because I, I think it's so important that spoke to me that no resistance means it's not vital that um, so many photographers, so many creatives don't want to start because they may be afraid of what the haters say. Can you just expand on that for one quick 
minute if you have time. Yeah. I do. I do. It, like people not liking your work. Let's just do some math real quick here. I'll just use my example so that we don't have to make one up. If I had, let's see it. I'll just use my photographic career as an example. Then um, if I had, if I did like 1.5 jobs per month, now, granted, I was working on very, very large scale projects, you know, like multi, you know, 10, 15 day shoots that involve shooting a commercial and the ad campaign and all that stuff. But 18 jobs a year would be a, a gigantic year. Gigantic. Millions and millions of dollars. How many people need to like your work? for that to be true. 18, 18 people signed the contract. Okay. And sure. Other times I've had 50 jobs in a year or a hundred jobs in a year or, you know, whatever. I mixed in a bunch of different stuff and I had 10, 15 gargantuan like boulders and you filled pebbles. My point is it's like single, like you can count them on your hands and toes. And so why do we spend so much time trying to get everybody to like our work? You have your style. That's the thing. If, if I could encourage anybody to be, you know, focused on something in your creative capacity, it would be defining your personal style. If I hold up a piece of Keith Haring art, you, if you know anything about art history, you can identify Keith Haring. If I hold up a Jean-Michel Basquiat painting, you can identify that as a Jean-Michel Basquiat because it has a style to it. If I read to you from Brene Brown or Roxane Gay, if you are a writer, I bet you can recognize those words. This is the goal, your personal style, because that is what people hire you for. And it just turns out that you only need, you know, often, a small subset of the universe to care about your work. Now I'm using 18 as a very extreme example, but you may have heard of the, the, the blog post from Kevin Kelly, probably two decades ago now, 18, 15 years ago called 1000 true fans. And if you haven't read it, it still largely holds true today. And the short version is if you can find a thousand people out there in the world using the internet who love your work, you can have, a life and a living that you love. And so I would say with respect to haters, don't even give them energy. Find, spend your energy finding the people who do. What if there's 7.495 million billion people who hate your shit? Well, you still have 500,000 people who love you and will devour everything you put out in the world. And that is according to Kevin Kelly, 500 times more than you need to make an amazing living and a life doing what you love. Thank you for that. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Amazing. I appreciate you guys. I appreciate now, you guys. This I'm is so great. Sun. I got a scoop, but I'm grateful. Yeah, totally. And you guys have done a great job. Uh, uh, we appreciate you being here. Curating. Oh, for sure, man. And I'm grateful. We should, uh, we'll keep doing it. For those of you who are um, tuned in, again, Ismailia, Michelle, Radonna, Shelly, Iris, Isaac, Richard, and whatever the 
67, 90, whatever's left <laughs> of you. Thank you so much for your time and uh, I encourage you to pursue your creative calling and thanks for paying attention to, uh, to our conversation today. We'll let you jump, but just really want to give you gratitude for doing everything that you do for the podcast, the Chase Jarvis live podcast for the book creative calling like you give a lot to the creative community um and we appreciate it we appreciate being here now and um yeah well we'd, we'd love to there's there's more questions but, <laughs> but it's time what is happens always when you, all that stuff is what happens when you tap into that thing that you're supposed to be doing so no, i'll give, it, it, give a shout out and thanks again appreciate everybody no, have appreciate an amazing you. rest of the week thank you chase cheers man okay bye guys all right bye, -bye. bye. All right, that is a wrap. But before you go, hey, I wanted to say thank you so much. And I do note that many of you have asked how you can help me out there in the world. And I have a great answer for that. And it is sharing this show. Um, my goal is I create this content with a, with a talented, hardworking crew over here at Creative Live. And our goal is to get this information out there into the world, help the, the greatest creators and, and entrepreneurs of our time get their ideas spread far and wide. So you sharing your takeaways or just links to the show, any of the podcast platforms or whatever means the world to me. Thing two, how you can help if you care is to leave a review at your preferred podcast platform. That also helps surface uh, this show, the guests uh, in, in search results on each of the platforms. And it means a lot. So thank you so much. Really, really grateful. And I'll look forward to seeing you in the next episode, hopefully soon, maybe next, maybe right after this, maybe you're going to listen Anyway, whenever you get around to it, I'm here. Thank you.